Good morning, church. I've been doing a little traveling, so I bring you greetings from about 12 different places, some I didn't plan on going to. Uh, but uh, one of the first uh, uh, deals we did, uh, first of all, I want to tell you, Ray and Sharon Melton send you their love. We spent a couple of, uh, some time with them. Some of you remember them who worked with our ministry here. Uh, but uh, also we made a trip to uh, Canada where Gordon uh, and I uh, spoke at a lectureship and also taught at a, a maritime Christian Bible college there. Some great folks there. And I tell you, it was a neat thing because we met uh, uh, some church leaders from all over that area. And I didn't know it, but one of them said, look, years and years ago, Wysterry Road helped plant and start this church. And said, I, I want you to know how valuable and special that is. It's still going, still doing good. Another church there, uh, uh, two or three churches had helped us back in uh, relief efforts for Ethiopia. And they said, we remembered partnering with you guys. And so we ended up uh, finding some kindred spirit there with a lot of folks. And, and of course, it's, ne- you know, it's always an adventure traveling with Gordon and Jan. You know, we get to Canada, we're going through security, and we've got all of our stuff on the belt there, and we're walking through, and Jan goes through, Gordon's through, I'm through, and then the belt shuts down. And then a guy's looking into that little x-ray deal, and he calls somebody else over, and they look into it. And then they start, they, they move the whole line that was behind me and me over to another one, shut it down, international incident taking place now, and they're examining Gordon's bag, and they're looking, and I go on through, and I'm standing there with Jan waiting, and then all of a sudden, they, the police start showing up. And they pull him over, and they say, sir, did you know you have a bullet in your bag? A bullet? Oh, yes, sir. And so he said, do you, he said, do you own a gun? He said, well, I, I own several guns, you know. And he said, uh, uh, what kind do you own? He said, well, I do have a 30, I have a 38. He said, that's what this is too. This is, he said, and then Gordon started remembering. He said, oh, that's my, and I'll tell you the greatest thing about this was I've never seen him speechless and humble like this. I wanted to take a picture with my phone, but I didn't want to get in trouble with security either. So I, you know, I, I was so tempted. I mean, cause it was like, you know, during the headlights look, you know what I'm saying? So uh, we finally goes through that, and he, he starts explaining, well, yes. Uh, I said, well, why do you have a gun? And the, uh, the policeman asked him, and Gord said, well, my brother-in-law has this reality TV show, you know, and now he's going to pull the Duck Commander card. I'm like, what? You lay that out there early. We're wasting time here, you know. <laughs> he said, but, and that, that guy said, uh, a reality? Who, who is it? He said, uh, Phil Robertson. The, the guy said, the duck commander. Next thing I know, we're standing around taking pictures with the police. We've got a, an, and they give him a Montreal police patch that you wear on your jacket. Uh, oh yeah. We sit down to lunch. These guys are near us. A lady comes up from Air Canada and says, uh, are you Gordon Dasher? I'm sorry you cannot board the plane because, and he looks around. All the police guys are laughing. They sent their wife over there for that and they walk us to the next gate. And, of course, Gordon, by this time, is getting comfortable and loving the attention, if you can imagine, and says to the guy, you think I could get my bullet back? And the guy said, uh, no. no. <laughs> now, that has nothing to do with my lesson, but, uh, well, I guess it does. This freedom was at stake there, I guess, maybe so. But uh, I'm telling you, there's some great brothers and sisters there. Uh, it, uh, of course, what disturbs me a little bit, we've been through several airports that hadn't been discovered. That's a, you know little frightening, I guess, but uh, 
uh, we, we just met a lot of great brothers and sisters. And then we were, sent, we were at the Tulsa workshop, and so many people that were there came up uh, and, and visited and, uh, after, after my lesson and was talking about, we visited your church, tell your people we pray for them, we appreciate so much. what Some of them watch live stream and different kinds of things. I want you to know that, that they have a great, great opinion of you as a church family, and you guys that are greeting at the door and loving on folks as they come through, Thank you so very much for what you do, especially you greeters. Thank y'all. Well, turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. In chapter 1, he says, avoid legalism. Stay with the gospel. Don't add anything. In chapter 2, he says, avoid hypocrisy. Don't be like Peter. Get in line with the gospel. In chapter, uh, in chapter 3, he starts out saying we're children by faith, not by law. Remember, you got this from Abraham. It's by promise. And you've been declared right. You've been justified. And so justification, in justification, we are declared right before God. But now he's going to talk also about adoption. Because you see, in justification, you're declared right. But in adoption, you are declared loved. And that makes a big difference. And so uh, uh, he's going to talk a little bit about this thing of sonship and the freedom we have. Verse 26 through 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children or sons of God. You'll see it says sons of God in this one. By the way, this is a... Uh, uh, some of your other versions may say son or may children, but there is a little difference. I want to emphasize the word son because it is a different word in the Greek than the other word he's going to use for children in the next passage. The reason so is because he's attaching this to the illustration of inheritance and and writing to this Jewish background. And who gets the inheritance? The son. So whoever rightfully has that right, that birthright, to to be the heir is the one now spiritually you're going to be as someone who becomes uh, one in Christ. And so that's that's why he uses that word there. And uh, uh, so he says... That you are sons of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor uh, Gentile, uh, the slave or freed, nor is there male or female. For all of you are one in Christ. So the first thing, sonship means a new identity. And with that new identity becomes a new focus as well as a new family. Because now that you are clothed in Christ, when a person is baptized into Christ, look, baptism is an experience of grace. It is a response of grace to the gospel. And baptism in the New Testament is always something that's passive. It's something you're submitting to that's being done to you. This idea somehow or another that baptism is a work that I might be saved is foreign to the Bible. Baptism is my submission to the grace of God and my response because my heart's been pricked to the gospel. And so I reenact that death, burial, and resurrection. And I clothe myself with Christ. That's the idea of seeing someone with a brand new robe. Now, uh, I don't know that we want to take it as far as some of the first century Christians did. You know, at one time there was a period where they were baptizing people uh, naked. Now, I don't want to volunteer for that. Do you? I mean, that takes live stream problems to another, you know, level, right? I mean, how do you do that? Uh, you know, I don't even want to be the one baptized, right? Uh, but what they would do, that would happen, and then they would give them white robes to symbolize and to wear, to instantly symbolize the purity and the clean, the, and the, that they've been made clean. Why did snow? Because their sins are forgiven because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They've been clothed in Christ. 
They're in Christ. And that's what you and I have when we respond to the gospel. And so he, he says that this baptism does something. It puts us into Christ. And it's a grace response to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's such a, such a great, great blessing. We started our, uh, started our day out with several baptisms. What a great day. Guys, have you, you just participated in that? You're brand new. And, uh, now get hooked in somewhere. Get hooked into the Bible. And get hooked into a Bible-believing place. And, and get after it and learn and grow in Christ. But also there's a new, this is a new identity, but there's also a new family you're a part of. No more of those distinctions. Now look, I think he takes this phrase for a reason about the Gentile, Jew, slave, free, uh, uh, you know, uh, man, woman. That's the old Pharisee prayer that they would pray in the mornings. Actually saying, God, thank you for not making me a Gentile or pagan. Thank you for not making me a slave. And thank you for not making me a woman. And that was their prayer. God says, all those kind of distinctions, they're gone. They're gone. You are one in Christ. See, when you become a part of this new family, we like to say here, our forever family, then all of a sudden, that puts you in, in a situation you've never been before. Those distinctions are gone. So it abolishes those sexual distinctions. It abolishes the social distinction. It, it abolishes those distinctions that come by ethnicity. It, those are all gone. You're just one family in Christ. And that's a, that's a great thing. We need family. We need people together around us. It's important to have our family. And so he says that now they have a new identity. But not only that, sonship means that you have a new inheritance. And look at this in, in chapter 3, verse tw- uh, 29 through 4 or 5. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time, uh, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So now we're an heir. We have a new inheritance by this promise. This promise, because now we're, our, our heritage is tied to Abraham and t- tied to faith. It's not tied to the genealogy of our national heritage anymore. So quit trying to depend on that and depend upon the adoption that comes by faith. And not only is it by promise, it's by this adoption that God looks down. Remember, adoption says you are loved. And you are wanted. And God adopts us. Because you see, he uses this illustration of children and the law. Or children that are going to inherit something but they're not old enough to yet. And so he uses this. Look, when you're a child, you're told everything to do and when to do it, right? And that's how the law works. They tell you when the parent tells you, if you're, you're a kid, you're told when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat, what to eat, what to wear, where you're going, where you're not going, right? 
I mean, those are the things that happens. You, you've done that to your kids, right? Uh, it's time to go to bed. It's time to go to bed. Oh, okay, and they fight a little bit. You make them go to bed. Next thing you know, you hear, I'm what? Thirsty. Every kid is thirsty every night, you know, somewhere, right? I'm thirsty. And what do you do? You can have water in the morning. Go to sleep, right? I don't mean, I don't know how you respond, but... You know, that the first and second kid are different. When Kristen came along, you know, any kind of noise or anything uh, happened, you know, we're getting up, we're going in there, are they still breathing, are, you know, are they okay, you know? Josh comes along, we just turn the fan up louder, you know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> you just kind of get more comfortable with it. But kids are told what to do and when to do it. And the law is like that, and it results in a feeling of bondage because there comes a time as that kid grows up that's going to throw all that off. And they're going to have to live their life based on principles they're taught, not on rules that you lay out. And so it is with the law. The law uses this phrase of these elementary truths. This is out of the Greek, actually, the ABCs, or to get in line, is the idea of the word. And, uh, and that's what the law does. It lines you out. You learn that as a kid to get in line, right? You get in line. You walk this way. You do this. You go and do that. And that's what the law does. And it puts you under bondage. And people uh, uh, who run that, the legalists, love to line everybody out. They love to line you up and you do this, 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 or you're not right. They love to give orders. Legalists like to line everybody up, give orders, and march them in step. And it gives that legalist a sense of power. And that's what legalism does. And he says, you're not like that anymore. Now you're a grown, adopted son, old enough to get the inheritance. You live by principles. You don't live by all that old law of lining up everything. You've been freed. There's freedom there. And because of that, now this sonship means you have new intimacy. You see, the Spirit, he says, comes into our heart. Look at this next verse. Guys, let's click right on through there. Next verse. There we go. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. Since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. You see, the Spirit comes into our hearts. When we become a Christian, Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit to indwell us. That's the best gift ever. We sometimes think it's not the best gift. We think we'd be better off if Jesus was here physically with us, right? We think we would feel better about that. Do you understand? He said, no, that's not what's best. What's best is that you have my Holy Spirit dwelling in your body and in your heart and your mind. That's what's best. Why? Because He wants us to have the same intimacy with the Father that He has. That's why He left us the Spirit. It's a guarantee of the future right now in the present. We have this guarantee with us. Now, he uses this word a couple of other times, this Abba, Father. And I want to just turn to those verses and look. Turn with me to Mark chapter uh, 14. In Mark chapter 14, you'll remember this scene. Jesus is uh, in the garden. In verse 32, the Bible says, They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. 
And he took Peter and James and John along with him and he began to, to be, look here, deeply distressed and troubled. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there today. Deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible. For you take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So in his distress, deepening sorrow, Jesus in the garden cries out what? Abba, Father. Look, I know some that try to define this word, as you know, it's, it's that endearment like daddy is. But really, it's not about infancy. It's about intimacy. Crying, Abba, Father, is, about, is a place where I can go to someone, my father, who has adopted me and loves me. And will do anything for me. Because he wants me to be saved. He's done everything for me already. It's about that kind of relationship. And look, that's different than a relationship under law. See, under law, we, keep the, we think that by keeping it somehow or another, we're safer. But we never are. I want to look at one other passage where you use it. Romans chapter 8. In the book of Romans chapter 8, just such a great chapter. There's no condemnation of those in Christ. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. And then in verse 14... He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Now listen, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, what? Abba, Father. We cry, what? Abba, Father. You see what he says? Look. It does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The Spirit doesn't cause us to live in fear again. The Spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. There's an intimacy that's there. Look, if your religion, wherever you got it, whatever name was on the door, if your religion created rules and fear, it's not the right one. It ain't the right one. You get in on this one right here, where you're adopted and loved by God the Father, and you're getting rid of the rules because you now live by principle, being like Jesus. That's your identity. You have an inheritance, and you have His Holy Spirit living in you, and you cry out in an intimate relationship with a Father that loves you dearly. You see, if I'm, if I'm building a house from, and you want me to follow all the rules, and right? And build it right. That's, that's, that's a good thing. But if I'm building a house for my daughter, I don't have to worry about following the rules. I'm saying put an extra uh, beam there, do this. I want to make it extra nice here. Uh, right? Because you have a relationship. Rules over relationship. You want relationship every time. If I go to the doctor, I want a doctor you know, that follows the rules. For the most part, right? Yeah, I mean, you, right? You want a doctor that's going to follow the rules. But you want one more than that. You don't want him just to be a rule follower. You want him to care about you personally. You want him to, to, to appreciate what you desire, what your health. That's, a, that's what's going to make you feel stable is when you have a relationship with somebody. 
Because relationships motivate us more than rules do. Because rules just keeping keeps us in fear because we never can keep them right. But relationships keep us in love. And love covers a multitude of sins. And when I break a rule and I don't want to, you know who I want to be able to go to? Somebody who loves me and cares for me. Not somebody that's just going to point out all the things I violated. I know that. I need a father. I need an Abba father that I can go to that loves me. Rules try to bring comfort, but they never do. When you break the rules, what do you end up depending on? As God's people, we depend on grace. We can't do everything right all the time, and we don't have to. That doesn't eliminate my desire to. Matter of fact, I want to please the Father even more. I want to be holy. I want to live right. But I don't do that in order to keep the rules. I do that to keep the relationship. Because I have a great relationship with a Father that loves me. And boy, do I ever need that. So ask yourself this question. Do you want to depend on law or love? Do you want to depend on slavery or freedom? Do you want to depend on rules or Abba, Father? I'm going the father route. I tried the rule keeping. Wasn't, didn't work too good for me. I'm going the father route. So Paul is telling this group of people, you're not just declared right through justification. You're declared loved through adoption. And that's what God has done for you. Do you want in on that? And do what these guys earlier did. Reenact that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Be baptized into Christ. You want in on this adoption? You come to a father that's done everything to make you his son. You submit your life to him. Whatever need you have, please come while we gather we stand and sing.